Um, well, hey, um, let's, let's jump into this. Colossians chapter 1. We're finishing chapter 1 today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want uh, one of our ushers to bring you one, just throw your hand up. Uh, if you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to take it. Consider it a gift. Uh, if you just need to borrow one, that's fine too. Uh, but Colossians chapter 1 uh, is what we are uh, finishing up today. Uh, we are in this study in Colossians and... Uh, Whew, man, this sucker's been kicking my tail. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, it is not, it, this is not easy preaching. Uh, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of thought, it's a lot of study, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, it just, it's, it, it'll exercise your mind and sometimes leave you dumbfounded too. Uh, but just to understand what Paul is trying to do, I think is the big picture, uh, and he's trying to encourage the church uh, and, and, and specifically that church that was in Colossae at that point in time uh, that was struggling in what to believe in. You know, that people, maybe not the church as a whole necessarily, but that people in the church were struggling in what to believe in. And, and chances are there's people sitting here and listening to me on the internet right now uh, who are also struggling in what to believe in. They, they are piggybacking on mommy and daddy's faith or uh, they're just uh, checking out a church or... Uh, they don't know. They're just here. Somebody drug them here, and they're like, I don't know what in the world I'm doing here. I'm so out of place here. The lightning is going to strike. I can promise you, if the lightning was going to strike, it wouldn't be because of you, okay? We got a bunch of other, like, lightning rods around here that have been attending here for quite some time. Yes, front row is one of them. Uh, so, uh, but... But for real, we're glad you're here. Uh, so, you know, as Paul, as Paul is, is, is teaching, you know, and, and, and writing this letter to be taught, to go back and be shared, um, the whole purpose was to try to, to gain this foundation that's all about Jesus. And, and when you come to that, it, it, helps, it helps to be this reminder of the lens of why Paul is talking through these things, and we'll have to continue to go back to that from time to time, because uh, we need to be reminded of why is, why is Paul getting at this? Why is, why is he making such a big deal out of all these like very specific things about Christ um, and even about himself and his ministry and that kind of thing, which is kind of where he goes with it today. Uh, but Colossians chapter 1, uh, we see uh, in this passage today, uh, Paul talking about suffering, talking about proclaiming Jesus, all these, all these different things. But I, I want to I read through the passage, then we're going to study through it, okay? Can we do that? Let's do that together. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 24, and it says this. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now that's a, that's a doozy of a verse, and we're going to come back to it and talk through it here a little bit. Uh, because it sounds heretical when you first kind of take a look at it. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Why don't we take a second and just pray together. God, we ask that you would help us to have a better understanding of who you are, who you're calling us to be. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to study it. God, it is yours. May it speak to our hearts. May it change us. May you change us today through it, through an understanding of of your love for us further, even in suffering, Lord, our calling. Uh, God, help us. Help us to run the race and do so well. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray all of this. Amen. Um, Colossians 1.24, that verse right there. Uh, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, I feel like this is like one of those, this is one of those lines that like we, we need to like write it down and tape it to a mirror and say it to ourselves like 10 times in the morning before we go do anything, right? You know, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. And you're, and you're thinking, Chris, I do not rejoice in my sufferings, right? I mean, that's, that's how we feel about suffering. We don't like suffering. And even if we say, oh, I'm cool with rejoicing in my suffering, like the next second that something bad happens, what are we doing? We're losing our ever-loving minds. I mean, we're like, ah, you know, what is going on? Oh, we, I thought we had all this figured out. I thought this was past. I thought no, we're never going to do it, you know. And then boom, Paul is writing to them about something here. He's getting specific. He's starting to talk about his ministry and his calling and some of the things in which God is doing in him and through him. And he's, and he's giving some example here. He's Again, I think it's if you're not careful sometimes with the way Paul words things, you'd almost think, oh, Paul's like thinking a whole lot of himself today. Paul's really full of himself today, right? And, and, and that's not the case. Paul's not interested in that. Uh, but he is interested in trying to set a Christ-like example for us to follow as we go. And so as he's doing that, one of the things that we see him talk about, such as things like suffering, is he's trying to help us to get a gauge on what it looks like for us to follow in a Christ-like way through this life. And honestly, I mean, that's what, that's what most of us are are looking for. We're trying to find, you know, if, if you're a believer, then, then you're trying to figure out what's it look like to follow Jesus in this day and age. How, how, do, how do I navigate things like suffering? You know, do I just lose my mind and just go off the deep end every time something happens? Do I, do I always call my sister? Do I always call my mom? You know, I mean, you know, you know, you know, you know you, some of y'all have got that person you call every single time. Some, I see some of you smiling right now. You know, you're like, oh, dang, he found me out. He must talk to my sister uh, but, uh, or your mama. Great place for your mama joke right there. Not going to do it. Um, but what we, see, what we see Paul talk about here in this rejoicing in his suffering is that he understands that suffering has 
a place in our life. You know, there's, there's tons of people. There's tons, tons of, you know, I, I don't want to throw them all under the bus in one fell swoop, but, you know, maybe preachers on TV or whatever it is. They're, I mean, they're, they're not just on TV. There's tons of those people that along the way want to sell you a bill of goods that Christianity is a Cinderella story in which everything is hunky-dory all the time. And I will tell you that at the end, we win. So in the end, it is all hunky-dory all the time at the end, okay? And it is, it is fantastic and unbelievable for the ride. But part of the journey is also suffering. Part of the journey is also suffering. We have, we have to know that. And we can't candy coat that. We, we, we embrace that. We recognize that God wants to use that in our lives. And so Paul is talking about that here. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Whose sake? He's talking about the people in which he's writing this letter to. The church. The church. It says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So he's doing this for the church. We kind of skip that middle part we're going to come back to because that middle part is the part that would turn most people's heads upside down uh, if, if you're not careful. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So I rejoice my sufferings for your sake, your sake being the sake of Christ's body that is the church. So we, we you know, even though we're not the church at Colossae and we're 2020 here in Pleasant View right now, Middle Tennessee, whatever, uh, he's still talking to us. He's still speaking something that applies to us today. This understanding that, that Paul rejoiced in his suffering for the sake of the church Paul was talking about the fact that he had been doing ministry, and we know that because he, he keeps going on and he's talking about the ministry that he's called to. But before he gets there, he says this line that people have debated and talked about for years and years and years, and will continue to do so until the coming of Jesus again. And we'll come back to that right now. It says this, For your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So is Paul saying that there is something lacking in Jesus' afflictions? Is that what he's saying? Because that's what it sounds like he's saying, isn't it? It sounds like Paul right here is saying, oh, I'm making up the difference where Jesus didn't finish the job. How many of you think Jesus didn't finish the job? Don't, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to make you look bad. Jesus finished the job. Jesus finished the job. Paul's not saying that I have come to complete the anointing of Jesus, that, that I have come, I've come to uh, fill in the gap for us to be saved, to finish the work. No, Jesus finished the work. Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again three days later. So what in the world is Paul talking about? Paul says, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings 
And there's an end game to that. And it plays into the next part. Even though this next part sounds heretical, he's not saying he's completing the anointing for our sins. Paul, Paul is talking about the persecution in the suffering in which he got to further the church. He's not saying, I'm completing uh, you know, this amazing thing in which Christ has done. No, he's saying, I'm continuing a completion of something in which Christ has already done that you may know that you, the church, may hear the gospel. How do we know this? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to get there. Uh, Philippians provides some great stuff. Uh, but but I, I chose to go with Acts 4 today, or Acts 9 today. In Acts 9, we see this passage in which Paul is on the road to Damascus. Remember, remember this, the road to Damascus? This is, where, this is where Paul himself has this life-changing moment where God literally just, I mean, just boom, you're saved kind of thing. Uh, strikes him blind, the whole bit. I mean, this whole, whole thing. You need to go read Acts 9 if you haven't read it in a while. Uh, but we're going to study just for a second two verses from Acts 9. First one is Acts 9, 4, and it says this. It says, in falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, this is Paul, Paul, Saul, same person. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? This is Jesus speaking to Paul, who was then known as Saul. He changed his name. This is Jesus speaking to Saul, Paul, for the purpose of changing his life. But let me also throw in the mix here that this is after Jesus went to be with the Father. Let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus is speaking to Paul, but not only is he speaking to Paul, he's doing so after Jesus went to be with the Father. We're talking about after the cross, after the resurrection, Jesus goes back up through the sky, boom, he goes to be with the Father. And then he's talking to Paul. Now, this is this particular passage and what happens in this passage to Paul and how Paul comes to Jesus is exactly why all of these people are hanging on Paul's words. He, this is why, you know, he kind of comes with this, I'm going to write a letter for, to go back with you, um, you know, to take to the church at Colossae so that they'll know who to follow and who Jesus really is and all of these things. And the reason in which this was so important and he carried so much clout at that time was because of this. Jesus came and picked Paul out and said, you, my friend, this person who's been persecuting me, who's been killing Christians for the sake of the government and teaching of another king and all of this crazy stuff, this is, this is that reason. So Paul, in this moment, has Jesus come to him Say to him, well, first, Paul falls to the ground. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I'm trying to do this today without teaching that entire passage. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, let's just think about this for just a minute. Was Jesus here? Was Jesus here when Paul was persecuting people? 
physically here? No, he'd gone back to be with the Father. He had left the Holy Spirit, and we're grateful for that. But an understanding here of something that Jesus is saying is he's saying, Paul, you have been persecuting me, but yet Jesus wasn't here physically. He's saying, you've been persecuting me through my people. You see, the suffering, the suffering in which Paul can rejoice in is not just our suffering. I've got this little statement that I've used from time to time. I'm going to throw it in today. I think it's very appropriate that we shouldn't waste our suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Like, Chris, I don't know what that means. We'll get there. God allows suffering in our lives. Why? Why is it there? Why is it a part of the mix? Why do we go through that? Why is Paul talking about rejoicing in it? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul had been persecuting Christians. Jesus comes to him and says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting them? He says, why are you persecuting me? You see, Jesus shares with us in our suffering. Our suffering is not ours. Our suffering is His. That's a big statement for us today. Especially if you're listening to this right now and you're going through something huge in your life right now, maybe some really hard moment or whatever it is. I'm just telling you, you're not doing that alone. You're not doing it. If you are a child of God, if you've trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, you are not going through that alone. Jesus has suffered with us and continues to suffer with us. What did Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? He wasn't even here. And he's saying, why are you persecuting me? And then, and then we're going to make a jump here. Then we have all this happen like back and forth between Paul and Jesus and the blindness and all the things. And then in verse 16, in verse 16, we see this. It says, going back to Acts 9, okay, Acts 9, 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. First, that's verse 15, sorry, and then 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So two things. Verse 6, or verse 4, I'm sorry. He, he asks, why are you persecuting me? And then by the time we get to verse 16, he's letting Paul know, you will go and suffer for me. You will go and suffer for the sake of my name. Now let me just ask you something. 
if Jesus came to you today in the middle of your Sunday afternoon, I don't know what you do on Sunday afternoons. Maybe, maybe you get a nap. Maybe you find the finest hot chicken in town. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're going to go out and pressure wash your driveway. I, I don't know. It's going to be almost 60 degrees today, by the way, so I'm told. So, happy, happy Tennessee. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's always like this. So, if you're doing whatever you're doing this afternoon, and Jesus were to show up, I'm talking about the real McCoy. I'm talking about the Son of God. I'm talking about Jesus, Jesus, okay? I'm not talking about, like, our apparition Jesus that we like to think of in our head, or sweet baby Jesus that Will Ferrell will pray to in the middle of Talladega Nights. I'm talking about the real deal, okay? Jesus shows up in the middle of your Sunday afternoon, and he shares with you just a a few key statements. Do you think that those few statements might change the trajectory of the rest of your life? I'd say probably so. I'd say probably so. That's what happened on Paul's Sunday afternoon when he's on his way to a place called Damascus and he's minding his own business and he's hunting people down like a bounty hunter of justice, bringing in all the Christians, killing the ones who don't want to come willingly. (coughs) And in the midst of that, Jesus comes and he speaks to him and he says to him, why are you persecuting me? And if I'm, if I'm Paul, I'm like, what? I, I just met you, you know? Like, what, what are you talking about, you know? And then furthermore, by the end of the conversation, and there's lots of things in the middle, and you have to go read that for yourself, you have in verse 16 him saying, for I will show you how much he must suffer. He's talking about Paul. He must suffer for the sake of my name. By the end of this, he's told Paul, you will suffer, but you will suffer with a purpose. You will do so for the sake of my name. So is it any surprise to us when we get over to Colossians 1.24 and he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. And people are like, what? You're a weirdo. He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You need to go back and read what happened to me when I was on my way to Damascus one day just trying to get up there for some pressure washing. You weren't listening. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, Jesus says he will suffer for me. Jesus also says throughout Scripture that we will suffer for him. Paul is saying that my suffering is completing something, not completing what saves us, okay, but completing a work in the lives of people who never met Jesus before. 
This is the taste and see for people who've never trusted and believed or believed in Jesus, have never heard about Jesus. I mean, think, think about it. At some point along the way, and, and you've been there and I've been there, at some point along the way, we had to hear the gospel. <clears throat> at some point along the way, every lost person has to hear the gospel somehow. How do, how do they hear the gospel? Well, we know that the preaching and teaching of His Word is a huge piece of that, and, and, and a God-appointed piece of that. But furthermore, that in our lives, that the people around us would see that in our sufferings, that we wouldn't waste them, that instead they would taste and see in our lives just the little pieces that this is not just our suffering, but this is the suffering of Jesus. That's why we can rejoice in it. And in our rejoicing in it, those people take notice. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when somebody goes through some awful moment of their life, what happens? I mean, people, people come around, you know, if, if people care, if they have people in their life, you know, people come around, are you okay? What can we do for you? And, you know, and, and not talking about the phony fake stuff here. I'm talking about the real thing. If we are truly able in those moments to rejoice in Christ because of what He's done and recognizing that our sufferings are not just our own, but they belong to Him and that we trust in Him and our hope is in Him, this amazing thing transpires where people that don't know Him see the gospel lived out in front of their eyes. Paul is speaking to the fact that he rejoices in his suffering and in his flesh he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Talking about Paul's body. He's saying that I have gone through these things. I rejoice in these things to do my best to complete the ministry of the gospel that other people might know and believe in Jesus himself. Because why? Because they couldn't all be there at the cross to see it for themselves. God doesn't want us to waste our suffering. He wants to use it for his glory. That's hard. It's hard. Because again, we, I mean, we're like freak out mode and we got five, you know, the three people on speed dial and we have the same conversation three times and, you know, I mean, that's, that's just who we, that's, that's our natural reaction in those moments. And again, not for us to play fake and phony, but what's it look like for us to truly trust in Jesus and make it known that his suffering is our suffering, that our suffering is his suffering he takes that from us. Verse 25, it goes on. It says this, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And, and this again, it's a continuation. He's saying that, I, that I've suffered and I've suffered and here's why I've suffered and, and here's why I've continued with the calling in which God has given to me as a minister He's saying God has called me to, to, to this ministry, but that this big part of it is to make the Word of God fully known. To make the Word of God fully known. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't know 
of a greater calling than this. And, and by the way, I'm very careful with that. I have conversations with people. I've got a uh, guy, family that's been coming now for a little while. We were, we were riding in the car the other day to grab some food, and, and he was like, man, this is so weird. I was like, what? And he's like, I'm riding down the road with my preacher. I was like, what's so weird about it? <laughs> I was like, I mean, I know I'm weird, but I mean, like, what, what else is weird about it? Because I knew there was something else. And he was like, well, I mean, I, you know, churches I was at in the past, if, if, I was, if I was like meeting the preacher for lunch or something, it was because I was in trouble. And I was like, oh, it's like the principal, you know. I get to play that game. You know, I'm very, I'm very careful with helping people to hopefully understand that, yes, being a pastor is, is a calling, uh, unlike really other callings in Scripture, but at the same time, I'm still a human being. All pastors are human beings, and we're sinners, and we're not perfect, and we're not better than anybody else. And, 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 and in a way, our calling is not better. It's just a different calling. Is it, is, does it, is it held to a standard that others think? Yeah, absolutely, it's there. All the way, always hanging, always looming in the background, like, hey, you know, Chris, going to hold you accountable to these things. Like, okay, all right. Paul's speaking to this call that he has in his life and that it is to make the Word of God fully known. To endure all these things in this world for the gospel is where he's going with this, this passage. And he goes on, verse 26 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, this mystery of the gospel, that he goes on to talk about a little more here in just a second, his, the saints being those who believed in Jesus. Verse 27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. To them, God chose to make known how, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which Christ is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and here, Paul continues to talk about this ministry, which he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, this understanding of the gospel that's finally getting to come out, that people have been waiting for so long to understand. And he throws in the middle of that to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery. You see, the Jews have gotten to hear about the coming of the Messiah and that God was going to save the day and all this stuff. Now, it looked in, in their minds, it looked completely different than what God had actually planned because they were looking for the, for the governmental you know, saving of like, oh, he's going to send a king king like we're used to thinking about kings with crowns and all that kind of stuff. And instead, God had something completely different in mind. But here, Paul's also making it known that this is for the Gentiles. And this was a different race. This was a different people. This is, this is blowing up, you know, what all of God's people had thought for so long would be the case. And in other words, Paul is saying this is, this is for everyone. In fact, Ephesians uh, 3 verse 4 says this. Ephesians 3 4 says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was 
not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it is now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you know what that means for us? That means that every one of us that feels like the lightning bolt ought to strike us down the second we step into a church building, which, by the way, is just a building, okay? The church is the people. We are the church, not this place. Thank God for that. We can't even get the drywall fixed around here sometimes. That in this thing that is happening, the, the, this verse 6, this mystery that is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel is saying to us that anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. When he's saying the Gentiles, he's saying all of the people that you didn't think could come along for the ride, they are more than welcome. And that includes me and you. Folks, we're Gentiles. We're Gentiles, mixed race, different people group, bunch of heathen sinners. That's us, saved by the blood of Jesus and all in one family. Not a care in the world about the color of skin. Not a care in the world of economic background, interest-based who your favorite team is. All one family. Go back to verse 27, Colossians 1. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul's just, Paul's just dropping, he's just dropping it, he's dropping it like it's hot. I mean, right here, all over the place. I mean, he's just dropping this stuff in, in little bits all over, where he's just wanting them to understand we can rejoice in suffering, and at the same time, our hope isn't here. Our hope, which is Christ in you, is the hope of glory. And don't think that this all didn't just absolutely blow up when the Jews would read this. God's people, the religious ones. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look at that verse. And we proclaim. He starts out, and we proclaim. We proclaim, and we warn, and we teach. There's three things right there. You see them? We proclaim, we warn, we teach. Who? Everyone. Where did you find that at? Where's the everyone? Hmm. Three times in there? Three times in there. Look at it. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present who? Everyone mature in Christ. 
And so Paul's taking it a step further here even because he's trying to make disciples into making disciples. You see that? Like he wants the church to get, it's not just about leading them to Jesus, but it's about leading them to growing in Jesus. In him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Where is that from? Scripture. With all wisdom that we may, and which is also piggybacking on the whole, you know, here to make sure that the whole word is heard kind of thing, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Presenting everyone, he's talking about that they may be seen by the Lord himself as growing in maturity in Jesus himself. Not in Paul. If Paul was an egomaniac, this is where Paul would be like, to be like me, you know? I mean, so if, if, if you ever have any doubt, like, oh, Paul's, you know, Paul's getting a little egotist. No, no, no. He's, he's, he's pointing people to Jesus. He's pushing people hard. But the truth is, is that we're people, and we know we need to be pushed hard. We know sometimes we won't do our best or even that great of a job unless someone is behind us pushing. That's true discipleship. It's part of what this retreat that we're about to do is about. In an awesome and, and fantastic way, I think that everybody's going to love. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul wants us to get that the gospel is good for everyone. And in verse 29, he says this, For this I toil, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil. When Paul says toil here, he's talking about for this I labor, labor to exhaustion, taking a beating, struggling through it, agonizing. Paul's saying I'm agonizing through this. For this I agonize, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is so us. That we, 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 we have this back and forth with God, don't we? Like we, you know, we want God to lead. We want God to show us the way and what to do. But, but what are we doing? We're just like, oh, my way right now, God. I got my own Sunday afternoon things going on. Don't need your time, you know. And Paul's sharing a little of the inner struggle, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And at the same time, he's giving him the glory that it is his energy that is powerfully working in and through him to do the work that he is called to do. But at the end of the day, he has shared all of this for one reason, and that's that he wants us to understand that he is at work to make it happen for the sake of the church, that they might know Jesus. Imagine if someone suffered in this life for you. Imagine, imagine having a friend, a family member, that was willing to suffer. Maybe, maybe you have somebody like that in your life that's willing to go through depression like you have gone through, maybe. 
willing to be hurt by others, forgotten by others like maybe you have been. Maybe they would be willing to endure pain like you have had to endure when people have lied about you, talked about you. That they would lose a dream job on your behalf like maybe has happened to you. Watching everything you work for burn to the ground. Maybe they would be willing to do that for you. That they would be willing to lose a loved one. Like you have had to go through at times in your life that you would give anything just for even a minute with them back. That they would be willing to take on the pain of cancer and their own body to take it away from you. That they would have to endure watching one of their loved ones deal with the pain of something like cancer in their body like maybe you've had to do. Jesus has suffered for us like this. Our suffering is His suffering. He does not want us to carry that weight. We'll carry it, but we're not supposed to do it alone. We'll deal with it, but we're not supposed to do it alone. We, we are called to rejoice in it because of what He has done for us. Jesus was mocked, ridiculed, humiliated, beaten almost to death before he was then killed and all of it done publicly. Here's a reminder of his suffering. I'll close with this. Isaiah 53.3 He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Our Savior did this for us. The Son of God did this for us. The Father sent His Son to do this for us. For who? For everyone. Who? Everyone. That anybody that would believe in Him could have everlasting life. That means even you today. Our suffering is His. May we not waste it. And for the rest of this world, when they see it, may we remember the gospel opportunity for them to taste and see that even in our suffering, that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, you are amazing. And what you have done for us is amazing and how you lead us and help us to understand 
the call that you have put on our life, nothing short of amazing. But I pray today, Lord, that you would lead us to be the people that you call us to be. Help us, Lord, to follow you through the hard times. Help us to rejoice in our suffering. May we remember that our suffering is yours. God, may we remember to proclaim your name. Lord, to love like you have called us to love. To warn others. To teach, Lord, all the people, Lord, about you. God, may anyone who's never trusted in you, believed in you, may their life be changed today. God, do a work in them that we cannot do. Lord, help them to believe in what you've done through your son, Jesus. Do that work in their heart, Lord, unexplainably so, Lord, that they know that you are speaking to them today, letting them know you love them and you want to save them, Lord, from their sin, from themselves, and give them new life. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.